0: Okay, we're, uh, this morning, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, you recall we're discussing questions. Paul Paul was answering the Corinthians, beginning in chapter 7, verse 1, he said, concerning the things you wrote unto me, uh, and then he starts to respond. Well, in chapter 7, it had to do with um, questions about marrying. Uh, whether to marry or not marry, and things like that. In chapter 8, he's going to change uh, subjects. He's going to get into eating of meat. We'll, we'll go through that as we proceed. Some of the questions, uh, I think he may, may have been asked something on this order. Uh, some brethren eat meats. That, this would be a Corinthian writing to Paul. Some of our brethren eat meats, that were probably offered to idols. Should they eat these meats, Paul? Is this correct? Some might say some brethren by say eating meat is sin. Is this true? Uh, Please explain. I think these may have been something on the order of what the questions were that he was asked because of the answers he gives. Uh, These are, this is what he's responding to. So you wanna keep that in mind uh, as we proceed. Chapter 8's got a very simple outline. It's only 13 verses. Uh, we know we all have knowledge, verses 1 through 3. We know what truth is on the matter. We know that an idol is nothing, verses 4 through 7. Uh, we know that, okay? We, we have knowledge about the matter. We, we, we know that idols are just dumb things. They, they're neither here nor there. They don't mean anything. Uh, we know food is not an issue with the Lord. It doesn't bother him, this food thing that we got. Uh, he told Peter on one occasion to uh, eat all manners of creatures that was on this sheet. Uh, nothing was to be uh, refused. Everything was uh, could be eaten. So uh, this isn't an issue with the Lord Jesus. And then his conclusion is in verse 13. Um, He takes a a, a very short approach, I think. Uh, He's probably dealt with this before. I'm sure he did when he was there. But uh, he's not going to spend a lot of time on the matter. He just uh, reiterates points he's probably already made. Uh, The first part, we all have knowledge, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. The problem with knowledge is that it can make you arrogant. It can make you uh, uh, look down on the questions of others as being stupid. How in the world could you possibly ask such a dumb question? Uh, Sometimes knowledge, it's a good thing to have knowledge unless it puffs us up. If it uh, causes us to look down on others, those who have no knowledge, uh, we're, we're probably not as knowledgeable as we think we are. <laughs> if we were really, truly knowledgeable, uh, we wouldn't be puffed up because we know our Lord wasn't puffed up. Uh, and if we had knowledge enough to know that, we would be a a lot better off. Uh, Knowledge puffs up, love on the other hand builds up. That's the difference. Person comes up to you and they ask the question, you say, oh, what a dumb question. Or a person, the same person comes up to you and asks the same question, you say, well, that's interesting, let's let's talk about this a minute. So you sit down and you talk about his question and you try to answer it for him. A puffed up person, he just writes him off. The person who uh, loves his brother as himself, he tries to build him up, he tries to educate him so he'll know the truth. You know, none of us knew the truth till we learned it. We were all blank sheets of paper at one time and line by line, we acquired knowledge. It's a very slow, gradual process. Matter of fact, we spend our entire life trying to glean knowledge, and uh, sometimes people have knowledge and uh, causes a problem. Uh, this happens at work too with things other than the Bible. Uh, it happens among engineers a whole lot. Uh, I used to work in an engineering firm, and uh, <laughs> there was a lot of folks who had knowledge and puffed up. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, then he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. If there's one thing uh, I've learned, most important of all, I suppose, is how little I know about anything. Uh, I know God, but what I know about God is infinitesimal (laughs) compared to what God actually is. Uh, I I don't I know I know so little, it's embarrassing. Except for the fact that I can't know more, I can't comprehend an infinite being. It's simply not possible, and that's the saving grace in the matter. But when you stop and think about uh, what we're trying to uh, learn, understand, believe, and do. Uh, we, we, we should know how little we know and then act accordingly. Rather than being puffed up, a person who is mindful of their own smallness uh, will be humbled by the very fact that they know who they are. If anyone loves God, <clears throat> this one is known by God. It's not because of uh, knowledge, I have knowledge, therefore God loves me. No, it doesn't work that way. If I love God, God loves me, okay? Jesus said one time to the 12, uh, my father loves you because you're great public speakers. No, my father loves you because you have more knowledge than anybody in Israel. No. My father loves you because you love me, okay? It had nothing to do with anything other than the fact that they did love the Lord Jesus. And because they loved him, the Father loved them. Um, Sometimes, even in religion, uh, people forget what it's really all about. It's, It's not about who can acquire the most knowledge, who is the greatest orator, uh, who is the, the most impressionable person, uh, it's about who loves God. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, when hunting for a preacher, and I, I'm not faulting because I don't know a better way to do it, but when hunting for a preacher, uh, we'll bring in three, four, five, whatever, and uh, we judge them based on their preaching, okay? Uh, we may hire somebody to be our preacher, but the truth of the matter is, what do we know about that person? You know, what do we know about the character of the person? Uh, who they are? What they're, what they're really, really like? Uh, I've heard of uh, preachers, uh, popular preachers, matter of fact, uh, who have done uh, very bad things while they were preachers. I know a preacher that uh, I love very dearly and had the utmost respect for, and come to find out he liked he like young boys. And I had no idea. For years, I uh, admired that man. And then one day I found out uh, he wasn't what I thought he was. And it was uh, very painful. Uh, we, we have to use some kind of a standard if we're going to hire a preacher for example Uh, so we judge by the ability of a person to teach the gospel and I don't know how else we could possibly do it unless we had him move in with us for ten years before we hired him but uh, we we judge things based on what we see and being a Christian is Being someone that the Lord loves is so much more. It has to do with the heart of a person. What kind of person is this? What are they made of? What do they love? What do they hate? Uh, To know someone, there's there's a great deal of information we have to learn about them. Uh, God, on the other hand, he can look at the heart and he knows. He knows what we love or don't love. So the basis of being loved by God is whether or not I love God. No, not I say I love God. I mean, I love God. And if I do, in fact, love God, then I know I'm loved by God. That's the standard we go by. You can't determine such things by knowledge or experience, seniority, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It's a matter of the heart, and that sometimes is hard to grasp, uh, sometimes. Anyway, we know an idol is nothing. It's just a dumb, dumb old thing. I remember uh, in India, people worshiping idols and uh, we'd go into their temples. Uh, They would invite us in and uh, ask us to speak to them and we'd go in their temple and we'd speak to them and uh, we'd tell them how dumb this idol is that they're worshiping. You know, you come in here and, and you wash this thing because he can't wash himself. You come in here and you offer all this food for this thing because he can't provide his own food. You know, there's nothing this stone can do unless you do it for him. So how do you expect this this rock to help you? And if this rock can't help you, what value is he? Why do you serve him? Why do you worship him? Some people caught on, most people didn't though. They continued to worship the rock, and it was very sad. Concerning the eating of things offered to idols, these are the meats, the sacrifices, Uh, concerning that, you asked me about eating meats offered to idols. Concerning that question, um, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. It's neither here nor there. It's, It's a rock, it's a piece of wood, whatever. It's, it's nothing. And that there is no other God but one, that is Jehovah, the living God. So every other God that men have, money, uh, the various gods that people continue to worship, uh, we know that they're nothing. In the final analysis, they're not going to help you. Uh, they can't save you from eternity. We know that. We know that. We have the knowledge. We have the understanding. We believe it. And we, we live by that rule. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, which, uh, of course, was true, yet for us there is one God, that is the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. Uh, regardless of when what people think and believe, what they may bow down to and worship, That doesn't change the fact that there's only one God uh, and there will be no other. He is it. And we know that and we hold on to him tenaciously and we know that all this other foo-foo that goes on with these so-called gods uh, mean absolutely nothing. There is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, There is not in everyone that knowledge. Everyone doesn't know that. Everyone doesn't understand that there is only one God and that the gods they serve and worship are not gods at all. In the city of Athens, uh, they had more idols than they had people. And then they had an idol that was constructed to the unknown God. Just in case they missed one of them, they wanted to make sure that they didn't leave him out. Uh, They were fanatical about their idolatry. Paul said, well, we know that's just a bunch of nothing, but everybody doesn't know that. Everybody doesn't understand what an idol is. Everybody doesn't understand that there is but one God and there can be no other. Everybody doesn't have that knowledge. We have that knowledge, but everybody doesn't have that knowledge. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. Don't call somebody stupid because he doesn't understand what you're talking about. How could he understand it? He's never heard it before. Well, what do you do? You try to edify. You try to build him up. You don't try to tear him down. He just doesn't know yet. You've got to give him time to learn. And in the process of his learning, he's going to make a lot of mistakes because there's a lot of things he believes is right that he's going to find out are wrong. I remember when I became a Christian, I thought that Mary was the mother of the Lord and you're supposed to venerate her. And I did, even after I become a Christian, until I learned I wasn't supposed to do it. I believe Jesus was born on Christmas Day, December 25th. And when December 25th come around, I put in our little free will bulletin, uh, 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 keep Christ in Christmas and things like that. I didn't know he wasn't born on Christmas, but I found out I wasn't stupid. I just didn't know. I hadn't learned that much yet. It takes time to learn. That's what Paul's saying. We know that an idol is nothing. But all people don't know that. And remember that when you're talking with everyone. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. He's talking about some Christians. They're they're weak in faith. These are probably, you know, people who haven't been Christians very long. Uh, until now, they, they eat this that's been offered to an idol, remembering uh, that it's been offered to an idol, and in doing so, they violate their conscience. It, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. I know I know, there's one God, and this meat's been offered to an idol, and and it just doesn't seem right to, to eat this. It's been it's been sanctified for the idol, so their their conscience now because it is weak they don't have greater understanding. Uh, it's defiled and they feel they feel dirty. They feel like they violated. They feel like they cheated. They shouldn't have done this. <clears throat> you have to keep that in mind. Paul is saying you have to be gentle with people. You have to be have empathy. Oh my, so much empathy. Now, see, part, food is not an issue with the Lord. He doesn't care one way or the other. Food does not commend us to God. Whether you eat it, whether you don't, doesn't matter. He don't care. He's not worried about food. He's worried about the heart. That's that's what he looks at, the heart. Do you care about these people, or do do you think they're a bunch of idiots? What's going on inside of you? How do you feel about it? Food doesn't make us commended in the eyes of God. It doesn't make us uh, 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 of some type of stature. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. If you eat the meat, that doesn't make you better than others. If you choose not to eat the meat, that doesn't make you worse than others. Whether you want to eat meat or don't eat meat, it doesn't matter. Some people are vegetarians. They don't eat meat. So what? That's their business. If they don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. Uh, They don't have to. It's not a requirement. I've never read in the Bible where you have to hear, believe, uh, repent, confess, and be baptized, and eat meat to be a Christian. It says nothing about such silliness. And we all know that. Well, remember that, Paul says. When you're dealing with the unlearned, remember that. Whether they eat meat, whether they don't eat meat, it makes no difference. It's their choice. If if a man if a man doesn't want to eat meat because he knows the meat's been offered to an idol or believes it has, a good chance that it has, uh, he doesn't want to eat the meat, well, that's fine. He doesn't have to eat the meat. And then some people, I would suppose, are probably making fun of him because he didn't eat the meat because he thought it might have been offered to an idol. And uh, Paul's saying, if he chooses not to eat the meat, what difference does it make? It's it's like, I remember a conversation I had years ago with uh, women wearing a head covering. Uh, if you, you know, you don't have to wear a head covering. If you want to wear a head covering, wear it. I, you know, I don't care one way or the other. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. Do what your conscience need, needs for you to do. There is a thing, a difference between right and wrong, but we're talking about matters that are irrelevant, that, that meat, head covering, doesn't make any difference. Well, Paul dealt with it. Paul dealt with the subject of prostitution. He wasn't talking about everyday worshipers. He was talking about a situation in a city that was corrupted with prostitution. Here in Corinth, the Temple of Aphrodite. People were trying to imitate the prostitutes. A thousand prostitutes worked in that temple and to identify themselves as employees of that temple. The women cut their hair short, very short. They say shorn, they weren't bald-headed, I don't suppose, but they cut it very, very short where women were used to having long hair. Some of the Christian women, because you know, you want to wear Nikes and Levi's and all this stuff. You know, you want to do what the trend is doing today. Some of the good Christian women, they decide they cut their hair off too. That's what Paul was talking to them about when he talked about head covering. There's principles involved in that that pass right down to us. But as far as a law that dealt directly with 2023, I don't think so. The principles are valid. But That's not what Paul was talking about. That's the kind of problems you get into when you forget about context. You've got to keep the context all the time. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours, eat or not meat, eat meat. Uh, The knowledge that you have that others may not have. Beware that your liberty does not become a stumbling block to those who are weak. You know that an idol is nothing. Everybody doesn't know that. And because your brother here doesn't understand God and, and meat that may have been offered to him. The way it worked was they would uh, offer up a cow or a pig or whatever in a city like Corinth. They would offer up these uh, creatures to uh, the priests. Like they did in Judaism, they'd be burned on fire. Well, the priest, they couldn't eat all that meat, way too much meat. So they would take the meat and they would sell it to the local butcher shop. And the people would go into the local butcher shop and they would buy the meat. Was it sacrificed to an idol? Well, I don't know that it was, but it might have been. Okay, that's the situation. So the guy says, ah, I can't take a chance. I don't want to eat the meat. And he said, well, you dumb head. That doesn't mean anything. You can eat the meat, and then you hurt his feelings. And you mock him so much that he finally eats the meat because he wants you to get off his back. So he eats the meat. Now he's violated his conscience. He can't stand himself because he feels like he cheated. Paul's saying, don't put him in that position. Whether you eat meat, whether you don't eat meat, it doesn't matter. If if a weak brother, because he doesn't have knowledge doesn't want to eat the meat so what what's he hurting why make an issue out of it i believe this is uh, the line of thinking the apostle had in mind if anyone sees you you who have knowledge you who know what's right and wrong if they see you eating in an idol's temple will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? There are some things that we can do. We have liberty. We're free to do so if we choose to. But if we do those things, a weaker brother may think that we're doing something that's not right. But if brother so-and-so who has knowledge is doing it, well, it must be right. So because he has seen me do it, he decides he can do it too. The problem is he hasn't solved the dilemma in his mind. In his mind, in his heart, he, he hasn't come to grips with the fact that meat is nothing, whether offered to an idol or not offered to an idol, it makes no difference. Meat is nothing. He hasn't come to grips with that. Maybe I have. So I eat meat. And he sees me eat meat. He doesn't understand how it can be right, but because he sees me eat meat, he decides he's going to eat the meat. So he eats the meat and he wounds his conscience. Why? Because he hasn't solved the riddle in his own heart. He's doing something that's contrary to his conscience. He's doing something to what he believes to be right or wrong, because he sees me do it. We have liberty, but we're supposed to also have love. And if my brother can see me do something that he believes is wrong, but he knows that I I know what right and wrong is, but he sees me do it and and he decides, well, he's gonna do it too, He's gonna violate his conscience and do the same thing. Well, somebody said, well, if it's not wrong to eat meat, then it's not a sin. No. He sinned because he violated his conscience. And that's, that's the tragedy of the whole thing. I know it's not wrong to eat meat, but my brother doesn't know it. I know he doesn't understand. Wouldn't it be better if I just abstained from eating meat when he's there in the same place I am, instead of maybe encouraging him to do the same thing, even though he believes it's wrong? I'm free to eat whatever I want to eat. But is it wise to do that all the time? Freedom, liberty, it's a wonderful thing, but it comes with a very heavy price tag because we have to consider those around us and what effect our liberty will have on them and some things that I may be free to do, I choose not to do because I know others will misunderstand what I'm doing. It's very deep. It's very deep. But it's it's about love, and love is a very deep subject. It's uh, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around uh, unless you give a lot of serious thought to things like what Paul's talking about right here and right now. Uh, he, he, he could eat meat Paul said but I'm not going to eat it because I know it's going to confuse my brethren therefore I'm not going to eat it I have the liberty to but I'm not going to do it I'm gonna forego my liberty. I'm a free man but I'm not I'm gonna I'm not going to do it for the sake of my brother well, That can apply to anything. There's a principle that's attached to that. And that can apply to anything. Anything we do, we have to be mindful of it. And sometimes we may forego things we really, really don't want to forego (laughs) just because we're concerned of what effect it will have on others. And that's hard to do. Uh, Because of your knowledge, because you know so much, shall the weak brother perish for whom the Christ died? Would you would you really let that happen because you have knowledge would you really allow your brother to stumble over your activity when you thus sin against the brother notice there there's nothing that says you can't eat meat there's no law but when you when you do eat meat you may be sinning against the brother you may transgress here's a law that's not written. It's called the law of love, though. When you transgress against a brother, when you cause a brother to stumble, I'm not talking about something you may do and a brother stumbles and you have no knowledge of it. I'm talking about knowing that the weak brethren are going to, to uh, uh, stumble if they see me who has knowledge do this thing if I insist on doing it because I have knowledge and I'm a free man, if I insist on doing it, I'm sinning against the brethren that I'm going to do it. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? That's the best argument I know of against using alcohol as beverage. People argue that to the end of time. It's not wrong, it's not right, bah, 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 back and forth. And there's never gonna be a solution to it that satisfies everybody, it just ain't there. So rather than trying to debate whether or not you can drink alcohol or not, why not just use the argument Paul uses right here? My brethren who have such great knowledge and they know that you can drink alcohol as a beverage, You can sit down on your front porch and drink six pack of beer if you choose to without doing anything wrong. They know this because they have such great knowledge. They're such intelligent people. Okay, what effect does your six beers have on your brothers? How does it affect the Christian community at large? Is it acceptable to everybody? Is it offensive to some people? Will it cause some people to stumble? Oh, you have knowledge, you know so much, you're so, so intelligent. But you don't know you can sin against your brother by doing that very thing. He's not hardly as smart as he thought he was, was he? When you do sin against a brother in that way and you wound his weak conscience because he doesn't know, you sin against Christ at the same time When you sin against one of the children of God, you sin against the Son of God. And now it's not funny anymore. Now the wise become fools. Those who thought they could see were actually blind. Think on those lines about these things and see where it takes you. It takes a lot of time to study stuff like this. Uh, Then we have the conclusion, which is simply one verse. Therefore, this bottom line, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I'm not going to do it, Paul said. It was a big issue at the time. It's not an issue today. It was a big issue at the time, and people uh, uh, made a big hoopah over it. Uh, over, I, I suppose in India, I've never been anywhere, but I, I would say in India it's probably an issue now, eating meat. Uh, I never had to deal with it. Places they took me, uh, I was always in uh, safe zones <laughs> most of the time, so uh, I never seen it as an issue there. But I'd say it is in some places. Okay, well, I'm going into chapter nine. Uh, supporting, oh, paying preacher. (laughs) This is what you're going to talk about. Uh, Let's see a little background. Uh, Paul, Paul had established a church there at Corinth. He spent 18 months with him uh, after he did that. Um, And the whole time he was there, uh, he worked with his hands. Uh, He was, uh, building tents. Uh, The Corinthians weren't aware of it, but there were other churches that would send Paul some money along and along, Uh, not large sums, but just enough to keep him afloat. And uh, the Corinthians, uh, they probably weren't aware of it, I suppose. But the point is, Paul didn't take any money from the Corinthians. He served there as a preacher. Uh, He set an example a lot, a large part of the time by making tents with his own hands. And then other times, uh, I suppose people thought he had saved up a little money where he didn't have to work and he could focus on his ministry a little bit more. But the point is, he spent 18 months with them, and they didn't give him a paycheck the whole time. He's been gone now for about three years and uh, they haven't sent him any money He's never asked for money. And you, you've got these other preachers, you know, that's come up. We talked about earlier. Uh, there's some of these preachers that uh, they're, they're really got big heads. And uh, some of them claim to be apostles, okay. And people would say, well, Paul this and Paul that. And they, they, they started saying, well, you know, Paul wasn't really an apostle. He was a fake. He was a pretender. You know, you ever look at the man, he looks like a duck. He's bald, he's got a big nose, he's short, and he's bent over. And look at the man. You think God would choose that for an apostle? And look at the way he talks. He doesn't talk well. He 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 he, he, he stumbles around. He tries to, to to get his words out. He has a very difficult time. Uh, no, <laughs> this man is no apostle. He's an impostor. Now this is what's going on behind Paul's back. And in these Corinthian letters he's writing, he has to defend his apostleship. He has to defend the fact that he is truly an apostle. And he makes arguments from time to time. He'll do it now and he'll do it again in the second letter. Uh, But this is kind of what the background is. And Paul's gonna talk about the fact that he did not take money from them. They didn't know, I I would think maybe the question was, should we support a preacher? We never had to support you. How come we're having to give these guys a a weekly paycheck? I don't understand. How come you didn't take a paycheck, but these guys get a paycheck? Why don't they get out and make tents like you did? There's probably questions like that coming back to Paul. Uh, His point, first of all, is I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I not an apostle? Rhetorical question. You know I'm an apostle. Am I not free? Yes, he is free. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Yes, he did see Jesus. He was lifted up to the third heaven. Are you not my work in the Lord? Was it not I who led you to Christ, led you to become Christians? And they would respond, yes, it was you, Paul. If I am not an apostle to others, doubtless, without a doubt, I have to be an apostle to you. Because they knew him, they touched him, they lived with him. They should have known, and I suppose they did know he was an apostle. But there were others not so sure. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The church at Corinth was the seal, proof of of Paul's apostleship, proof of his being a Christian, a servant of Christ. The very church itself was the seal that proved it. My defense to those who examine me is this, those who are judging him as to whether or not he is an apostle. Do we have no right to eat or drink as an apostle? Yes, they do. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? These are the things they are being questioned on. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, Peter? Do Barnabas and I not also have these same rights to do these very same things as the other apostles are doing? And the answer, of course, is affirmative. It is their right. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Cannot Barnabas and I choose not to take a weekly paycheck if we don't want to? Is it not our right to labor with the church there at Corinth without taking funds from the church to support us by working with our own hands to keep ourselves alive? Don't we, somebody was questioning the fact that Paul didn't take a paycheck. I used to think that was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And within two years after I started preaching here, there was a preacher who said that very same thing about me. I wasn't taking a weekly paycheck. And in a preacher's meeting up there in Coopville, I wasn't present. I was chastised because I was making it hard on preachers who had worked long and hard receiving no money and finally having gotten to the point where where it was respectable for a preacher to receive a decent wage. And then here come along somebody like me who was doing it for free. He doesn't know I know that. Well, he didn't know I knew that until I asked him about it. And about like he always does, he just hem hawed around and didn't say anything. But there was a lot of men who did say something. I would I had a I had I, I read about Paul being criticized for not taking money from the church. And I, I couldn't imagine this can't be true. And then it happened to me and maybe the same thing happened to Paul. Maybe it was the preachers that were criticizing Paul. Garment was a fairly decent sized congregation by this time. They had several people no doubt in the ministry and probably on the church payroll. And uh, I would suppose, and that's all it is, a supposition, I would suppose that that argument raised among their ranks. He never took money. Now he's gotta defend that. He's got to defend himself because he didn't take money. That doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. That doesn't mean I'm not an apostle. If we wanted to take money, we could. If we didn't want to take money, we didn't have to. It seems to me one of the silliest arguments I've ever read about, and yet it was a defense that Paul had to make uh, over preachers and money. We'll we'll have to stop. We'll probably begin with verse one uh, next week. No, I won't be here next week. Uh, The week after, I hope, unless I have surgery, I don't know i gonna have surgery one of these days, but I don't know what day it is. Uh, anyway, um, okay.